Psalm 11. In the Lord I take refuge. How then can you say to me, flee like a bird to your mountain? For look, the wicked bend their bows. They set their arrows against the strings to shoot from the shadows at the upright in heart. When the foundations are being destroyed, what can the righteous do? The Lord is in his holy temple. The Lord is on his heavenly throne. He observes everyone on earth. His eyes examine them. The Lord examines the righteous, but the wicked, those who love violence, he hates with a passion. On the wicked he will rain fiery coals of burning sulphur. A scorching wind will be their lot. For the Lord is righteous. He loves justice. The upright will see his face. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Fantastic. Thanks, Margaret, for uh, reading there. Now, do um, keep that open in front of you. Uh, or if you haven't got it open, turn to it. It's on page 548. It's always helpful to have the Bible open um, as we look at it together. Um, now, many of you may know, my wife Joanna is from California. In fact, she's there at the moment with, with four of our kids, still enjoying um, the summer. And she lives uh, in a place called Petaluma, uh, which is just north of San Francisco. And if you know your, uh, you, do you remember your geography classes at school? There was a big earthquake uh, in San Francisco um, in 1989. And uh, it killed around 67 people, and there's over $5 billion worth of damage caused, which back then was probably an awful lot. Um, and several years ago, when we were visiting Joe's family in Petaluma, um, one night we were woken up by the sound of, of all the plates and the glasses in the downstairs of the house just shaking and rattling, and, and we were in an earthquake, and it was, you know, it was a proper one. And I got, out, got up out of bed, sort of not quite know what's going on. But the weirdest feeling of all, the sensation I had, was that the, that the house kind of swayed like this under your feet. And um, it, it probably didn't last very long, but it seemed like it lasted for eternity. And, and during that quake, the foundations of the house, the foundations of the earth, um, shook. And in some places, probably near the, the center of the earthquake, crumbled. I was in California a few weeks ago, um, had to come back early, and uh, we visited this place. Sorry, I'm going to forget to do this. Aren't I? We visited this place um, where there's an earthquake fault. So that is a massive fracture in the ground, um, and it's actually caused by kind of uh, magma coming up to the surface and splitting the earth apart, and that goes, you know, several feet deep. You don't want to fall into that. And it's striking seeing something like that when you see the earth, you know, being ripped apart. Um, that the earth itself, that seems so solid, can shake. Well, that is what David is experiencing in Psalm 11. Not an earthquake, not a, a volcanic eruption, but the very fabric of society that he lives in, the foundations upon which it was built of being ripped apart. Um, it was a year ago now that the Taliban over took over um, Afghanistan. And some really horrible scenes, if 
you remember. And people were fleeing for their lives. And, uh, you know, the very fabric of that society, what had kind of been built up over the previous years, was being ripped apart again. You know, a society where, where education was slowly become available to boys and girls, disappearing again. I can't really imagine that kind of thing here, can you? Peace crumbling. You know, war within the UK. Sussex taking on Leicester. Not just at cricket. All those things that underpin our society, like the rule of law and justice and equality and human rights, gone and destroyed. Imagine that happening. Well, that's what's going on in Psalm 11. It's what David faces. If you look at verse 3, when the foundations are being destroyed, the customs, the laws, the way of life that David lives in is being destroyed. And people, probably well-wishers who care for David, are saying, David, you should get out of here. You should flee. That's why he asks that sort of rhetorical question. You know, how then can you say to me, flee like a bird to the mountain? The wicked, verse 2, you read, are trying to destroy society. They're preparing to attack. They bend their bows. They set their arrows on the strings, ready to bring down. And so the question is, at the end of verse 3, what can the righteous do? What can believers like David do? The temptation would be for David to leave. You know, crisis of faith, what on earth's going on? Depart, run and don't look back. That would be the temptation. In fact, people were suggesting that's his best option. As everything in his life is falling apart, what does he do? Where do his thoughts go to? Where does his trust lie? What are the foundations upon which he builds his life? Well, in the middle of chaos and fear, this very simple point, the Lord is his foundation. And there's two reasons why the Lord is David's foundation. First is this, that God reigns from heaven. You see that in verse 4. The Lord is in his holy temple. The Lord is on his heavenly throne. The Lord is describing the temple, describing the Lord's temple as holy means that where he dwells is set apart from anything physical or earthly. And the location of this throne confirms that he reigns and he reigns over everything. The society David is in might be shaking. Your life might be shaking, but God's reign is unshakable. There is nothing that can topple him from his throne. You know, you play chess and you might resign, you'd knock your king over and you'd topple it over. Well, God cannot be toppled. And what David is experiencing is that nobody's reigning, no one's on the throne, it's complete chaos. And so his only hope really is faith in the sovereign God who reigns, who sits on his throne and reigns over absolutely everything and everyone. And even though David might not be able to see that with his eyes... That is the truth that he knows. We'd say that the queen reigns, don't we? She rules this land. We might not see it, might not feel it, but she does. Second reason David trusts the Lord and the Lord is his foundation is that God sees everyone and everything. Look at verse 4. He observes everyone on earth. His eyes examine them. God is aware of every single detail of human life. That's a bit early for Christmas songs, I know, but 
you know, we'll soon start counting down sleeps. So, I mean, someone said it's never early for Christmas songs. <laughs> it's definitely too early for this one. But you'll know this song, I'm sure. Um, Santa Claus is coming to town. He's making a list. He's checking it twice. He's going to find out who's naughty or nice. Santa Claus is coming to town. He sees you when you're sleeping. He knows when you're awake. He knows if you've been bad or good, so be good for goodness sakes. He better watch out. Now, actually, when you step back and look at that song, it's quite creepy. Um, this strange old bearded guy in the sky who we don't know much about is watching you. He's waiting for you to mess up and scale your life on whether you've been good or bad. So watch it. But having the Lord of the universe watching us and knowing everything is not creepy, is not scary, but is reassuring. We can breathe. You go to bed knowing that he holds the universe in his hands. He knows how you're feeling right now. He knows your fears and your worries. And because of that, we can trust him. And because God is aware of every detail, David says, you can see it in verse 5, that he's aware of what the righteous do. That's those who are right with God. You know, he's aware as well of what the wicked do. Verse 5, he says, the Lord examines the righteous. That means God proves the faith of those who follow him. David's faith and trust of God is being tested through the situation he's facing. You know, it's easy to be a Christian, isn't it, when, when everything's going great. But it's harder when we face troubles. But you contrast that with the wicked here, where there is no proving, there is no examining. There's only warning to them. And actually a hatred from God of what they are doing. I guarantee you've probably at some point in your life uttered the words, I hate. You know, whether you're a kid and said, I hate broccoli, whatever, you know, whatever it is. I know, I hate this, I hate that, I hate that. But we misuse that word. We use it wrongly. We hate the wrong things. It is a very strong word. But used here, it is correct and right that God hates something. He hates evil and he hates wickedness. And you see why God hates that? Because, verse 7, he loves justice. Because God is righteous, because he is always right morally, because he does what is always good, because he is good, wickedness can't stand. And because God is for this, it means he is against this. And that is a good thing. And so even though the foundations of what's around David are crumbling, they're being destroyed, David has this foundation that can never be destroyed. The Lord. Because he reigns and because he knows all. And so the question for all of us to think about this morning is this. What do you do when the foundations in your life are destroyed? When you experience... Sorry, I'm getting lost in this and not scrolling on. When you experience a bereavement and you, you lose everything that was familiar and stable in that person that you've lost. When you receive a terminal diagnosis and you begin to question everything that you knew about God. When doubts over Christianity take over and you feel like just walking away. Or when your friends mock you 
and you think, is this really worth it? Or when you just can't cope with life and all its stresses and its strains. All those situations, they rock us, don't they? They shake us. But I wonder, what do you start thinking in those situations? Where do you turn? Where does your mind go to? Where does your heart go to? Peter writes these words in the New Testament about the Lord Jesus. Sorry, it's very small. It's bigger on my computer screen at home. Um, He says this, As you come to him, that's Jesus, the living stone rejected by humans but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For in Scripture it says, See, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone, and the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. And we come to Jesus, this this cornerstone, this precious stone, through the Holy Spirit. We experience him, this cornerstone, through the Spirit. That is how Jesus is made alive to us. And so when you feel that your foundations are crumbling, Jesus reaches out into our lives and he puts his big old arm around you. He says, come here. And when we allow him to do that in our lives, we can move maybe from a life that's ruled by fear to actually one that's ruled by faith. You know, in Psalm 11, those people were trying to get David to leave. They were fearful. They were fearful for him. And I bet David was very tempted to leave. But if that was done out of a fear and not a faith, then that would be wrong. And as believers in the God of Psalm 11, we too need to live by faith, not fear. And so I wonder, when you make decisions in your life, big ones, small ones, whatever they might be, what runs through your mind? Is is it based on fear? What could go wrong? What might happen? Are you gripped by fear? Because actually if you are, you can miss out on so much in life. So much of what God might have in store for us. I was thinking this week, risk, when we talk about risk, it's usually a negative thing, isn't it? Holy. But how often do you think of taking a risk as a positive thing? the positive outcomes that might come about. Yeah, you might have, for example, fear over sharing your faith. It's scary. And you might tell yourself all these things that will stop you from doing it. But living by faith would think, you know, I'm not going to think of the negative things. I'm going to think of all the positive things if I take this step. And so in our lives, we need to live by faith, not fear. Faith in the God of Psalm 11. We need to be gripped by the ruler of the universe who's firmly in charge and knows every detail of your life. And that's really the strongest foundation that you can have. Well, let me pray. Father, we give you thanks for the message of this psalm, for for you that you reign, that you rule. You rule the world, but you also rule our lives, every fine detail. 
And I pray today that if we are fearful, you'd help us instead be gripped more by you as a person and in turn transform those fears. Please help us by the power of your spirit to live with you as our chief foundation. For we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.